Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Less Stress Life podcast, where we believe that everyone deserves a less stressed life without inflammation, fatigue, and food sensitivities. Today, I did something a little different. I simultaneously recorded on Instagram Live and hit record on this app on my computer to record this for the podcast. And after I got done, I thought, oh, maybe I'll re-record that and shore it up a little bit. And I decided life is too short. I already spent an hour on this and I'm just going to roll with it. So I hope it doesn't drive you crazy. I hope you find a lot of value from it. I did go through an outline. And so I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. But before we get into the actual episode, and really, I hope you get a lot of value about it out of it. There was um, a post I did on Instagram that was received quite a bit of traction, over 3,000 likes and lots of questions about what do you do if you have symptoms of high and low cortisol. So I get into that in quite a bit of depth today. But before we do that, I just wanted to share that I am going to do something I think is a little bit fun. It's an Ask Krista live call. It's for health professionals. It's for RDs or NPs, PAs, PTs, DCs, something like that, because those that have similarities or in practice or something like that, we're going to get more benefit from each other. So I'm going to do a 60-minute small group call via Zoom. It's a paid call. It's only $30. If you don't think it's worth that, um, you know, or if you have questions, like I'm not accepting email questions before or after when you register, include your questions there. But you can also ask questions live. I know it's not going to be too big of a group because I've done stuff like this before, and usually 50-ish percent of people show up live to things. And I know it'll be fine. And I've budgeted a little extra time. So clinical questions, business questions, podcast questions, second opinions, anything around finances, anything, all of that is like on, is totally fine to talk about in that session. What I will not cover is like insurance questions, scope of practice or legal just stuff because it varies and I'm not an attorney and um, just no emails. And of course there will be a replay. If you go to askkrista.com, all the details are there. If it sells out like in a minute, then maybe we'll add another one. I'm just doing this for fun. So I wanted to like connect with you and that's the whole purpose of it. And that's enough. So let's jump into what to do with high and low cortisol. All right. So I'm trying something not exactly new. I did this once or twice before, but it is simultaneously doing live on Instagram and then also recording a podcast. So I'll try not to look at the computer, but I do have an outline. And today we're going to talk about the symptoms of high and low cortisol and what you do if you have both of them. So About a week or more ago, I posted on Instagram symptoms of high cortisol and low cortisol, and the comments blew up on like, well, what if you have both? And so 
I am going to, here's the, kind of the outline of what I'm going to talk about. A couple of years ago, I ran this adrenal resilience reset where I tried to pack all of this information into four weeks, like four classes. And so I'm going to very briefly go over what I did in that class a little bit, or I'm going to try to, and then I'll go by the questions that are showing up in the comments. So in general, there is, um, uh, a normal cortisol curve that's supposed to happen. So you have to have a peak after you wake up 30 to 60 minutes after you wake up. Um, and then we're going to talk about where cortisol comes from, what else the adrenals are controlling, kind of like how you, the different situations, whether it's like burned out, if it's high, if it's, if it's normal, um, and just like the things that need to be done if we're aggressively trying to heal the adrenals and heal cortisol function and then non-negotiables from a lifestyle perspective. So let me briefly set this up. And so first of all, my name is Krista Bigler. I am the anti-inflammatory nutritionist. Thank you for joining me live on Instagram. I really appreciate it. So the post said symptoms of low cortisol were difficulty getting out of bed in the morning. And these are kind of like more dead ringers of low versus high. So symptoms of low cortisol, difficulty getting out of bed in the morning, easy fixes for that, um, potentially. Afternoon exhaustion, getting, these are like when they're, you're very, um, kind of worn out adrenal wise, getting dizzy, irritable, and sleepy before if you go without food for four and five hours, that's because the adrenals not only make cortisol, but they also make DHEA. And that is a hormone that helps control blood sugar overall. So if you don't really have a buffer to help you control that, you're going to feel more hangry and not that awesome. Craving salty foods can be a real dead ringer because the adrenals crave that sodium, that potassium, um, those minerals. It's a huge piece. There's like a three-pronged approach to healing adrenals. Frequent illness can be one. Because um, when we have high stress, we suppress our immune system and secretory IgA and then low sex drive. So if you're in a low cortisol state, you don't have um, probably the resources to create testosterone. So I actually see when I've done Dutch tests and I've seen really low testosterone, like really flatline testosterone related to libido. Um, if the cortisol is running really flatline, meaning like you burned yourself out it's hard to get that testosterone up. There are some herbals you can use, but I just don't see it working very well until the adrenals are healed. So that was symptoms of low cortisol. Symptoms of elevated cortisol is feeling tired, but wired. So what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to wake up. You're supposed to have, you're supposed to have both high and low cortisol throughout the day. And so what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to wake up and then 30 to 60 minutes after you wake up is your cortisol awakening response. So it's, that's your natural coffee. <laughs> that's how you feel. That's how, um, and this is programmed by full spectrum light. So the first thing I always rec recommend like a two minute morning routine, which is to get up, try not to look at your phone because that's now telling your brain, it's telling your super chiasmatic nucleus that it is now noon. So that's not very helpful if it's like 6, 7, 8 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever, if you're telling your brain it's now noon. So what you've got to do is go outside. If you do this through the windows, it actually reduces the full spectrum light dramatically. It is the season where we can do this outside in the wintertime. Getting a full spectrum light and putting it on your desk in the morning is good. But that is going to um, tell the suprachiasmatic nucleus in your brain. It's going to tell, it's going to hit your skin, and that's going to help produce hormones for the day. It's actually going to help produce melatonin for the night, which is really cool. And then blue light will destroy that melatonin and sunset will help release it. So those are like the three steps of, well, some of the three steps of melatonin creation. Um, so from a perspective of getting out of bed in the morning, this is all circadian rhythm stuff. So you're programmed by light, you're programmed by your habits, you're programmed by like eating at regular times. And so that's like a whole thing, right? So there's a normal cortisol curve. You're supposed to be able to get out of bed and have a 30 to 60 um, minute rise in cortisol after, um, after you get up. Um, by program by full spectrum light. And then that's the highest it should be throughout the day. 
After that, it's going to peak and it's going to kind of go down. It should not like flatline in the afternoon. If it does, you might feel like super exhausted in the afternoon. There could be different reasons for that. And then it should be lowest like right as you're getting ready to go to bed. But have you heard of this concept? Please comment if you have. Have you heard of this concept called revenge bedtime? Um, So that's when we have a lot we want to get done and we're like you know the only time I have is at bedtime like when my kids go to bed or after I finish these other obligatory projects and so revenge bedtime which I feel so called out by or I used to feel so called out by is when you start a project at night and so if you do something that raises your cortisol your cortisol is meant it's a protect it's like an essential hormone produced by the adrenals and so it's created to help you like change a tire so but it's also supposed to go down after 90 minutes. So if you um, get a flat tire after work, that would like make your cortisol rise, right? If you have something stressful happen, that should make your cortisol rise. Um, it helps you get through it in that moment. In fact, right now, I bet my cortisol is up because I'm like trying to multitask <laughs> and also get out of my office. And um, But I've been wanting to do this for a week, so I just said, I'm just gonna do it right now. Um, so I'm probably raising my cortisol. Fortunately, it's only 5.43 p.m. where I live in mountain time. So therefore, I've got plenty of time for reducing it. I've got a cortisol reducing activity right after this. But if you start a cortisol rising activity at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. or 8 p.m., you're now heightening your stress level, and then it takes 90 minutes for that to come down. So when you're wired and tired, that means your cortisol is higher than it should be at bedtime, which is when it should be um, at an all-time low. I can try to, um, peace, love, and dream, which your question was, can you possibly mention cortisol in people with extensive PTSD? There's a lot that's layered into this, isn't there? Um, For sure. I mean, this is like, I feel like there's a lot to talk about here. All right, so we talked about normal cortisol curve, heightened in the morning cortisol awakening response programmed by the sun, hitting the suprachiasmatic nucleus, programmed hormones. We talked about how it should go down in the afternoon. We talked about how it it should be at the bottom at night. And so we talked about why that would look like getting out of bed in the morning would be difficult. Um, and why that would be low cortisol in the morning and how you can try to reprogram that right now with light therapy and then feeling tired and wired. We covered that one because we talked about like kind of raising cortisol at night. And so if someone's really struggling with that, first of all, it's lifestyle, which that's the unsexy part. Like no one actually wants to change anything. Um, so you might have to watch what you're doing revenge bedtime wise. I have to have conversations with really intelligent people all the time. Like what time do you need to get up? Okay. What time do you have to go to bed? Okay. What's 90 minutes before that look like? That's like actually the bedtime routine piece of it. By the way, turning down the lights is going to help release that melatonin. Seeing the sunset is like fancy, but if you turn down the lights in general, it helps your melatonin release in the dark. Um, So what else do I want to say about feeling tired and wired? For some people, if they're really having trouble turning off, there is a product from, I'm only going to mention professional products that I'm like really familiar with. Um, So one, something you can do is magnesium glycinate is awesome. Like 30, 60 minutes before bed, it's a natural, it naturally relaxes the nervous system. Um, You can feel just like a little bit of a calm sensation. Freaking love valerian root um, and lemon balm at night too. Trader Joe's has a tea called Well Rested and it's lovely. Like those really are awesome. Um, And then I like Integrative Therapeutics has a product called Cortisol Manager. I think it's got magnolia and L-theanine. So again, these are like nutraceuticals and I would really recommend like looking at your life first if you're trying to do revenge bedtime. If you're trying to do a project till 10 and then you're like, oh, but I got to go to sleep because I got to get up at six. Like... I would just ask you to be honest with yourself first. Yeah, everyone, that's like the um, the question of the year, right? Which is night shift. There, and I, I'm going to add it to my list of conversation pieces. So night shift. Um, yeah, it's not a good situation. Does menopause play a role in being super tired late in the afternoon? 
Um, every time someone thinks that there's a simple question, I'm like, well, let me walk through the physiology of what's happening there. Cause in menopause, you're dropping off all hormones. So that can make you feel tired in general. Um, what I will tell you about, about perimenopause and menopause is that if your adrenals, cause this entire topic is around adrenals, cause adrenals are the bean shaped glands on top of the kidneys that produce cortisol, but they also produce aldosterone, which helps control your blood pressure. And they also control, or they also secrete DHEA, which helps, um, regulate your blood sugar, which is essential for all hormone production. So there's a lot to it. And if what the basics would be is if your adrenals are under constant stress and cortisol is the essential hormone, that means your body's going to downregulate every other hormone production to make cortisol. Because it's like, well, I got to get away from the tiger. So it's the most important hormone. So it's going to downregulate everything else in favor of producing cortisol to the point where like you can feel just like crap. And so what I will say about menopause and perimenopause is that there's a huge relationship to what's going on with the adrenals because your ovaries are like, I'm actually going to check out now. I'm kind of done making this much progesterone and estrogen. Like you don't really need a cycle anymore. You're not reproducing. And so now the brunt of hormone production goes to the adrenals. And so if the adrenals, I always like to say it's never out of style to support the adrenals. You're going to need that your entire life. Okay. So we talked about feeling tired, but wired, difficulty getting out of bed, afternoon exhaustion, I think one, if you roll over and look at your phone and you just told your brain that it is now noon, that's going to look like you're going to potentially have some issues with afternoon exhaustion there. Um, Something to think about if you're supporting your adrenals. Supporting your adrenals actually looks like feeding yourself. I said yesterday when I showed up to one of our group client calls, I'm like, not to brag, but I had a good lunch and I've got a lot of great energy right now. So I would just say that always go simple, like a simple answer first. And so I know personally, like if I'm fried at four or 5 PM, I need to look at what I had for nourishment about four or five hours before that. Cause you're, you can't run on an empty tank. And that's actually like a great way to think about it in general. Cause cortisol, I like to think of it as like a gas tank a little bit or a speedometer. And so I've actually, as I've been talking here and knowing that I was raising my cortisol, I've tried to like tamp down my my speed of speaking, um, because I know that that raises my cortisol. So the speed limit, um, cortisol and adrenal stuff is about resilience. And so if you are driving the speed limit and you can adjust to the speed limit, that's like having a good buffer, having good resilience. That's being able to adjust to the environment to being able to self-regulate. It's really the magic sauce, you know, like we can fix and heal things, but like you can't self-regulate the nervous system. It's going to be an issue like long-term, like you're not, you're going to like keep trying and, and failing. And that's what we do in healing. We try and fail a lot until we succeed. Um, and it's not all bad. It's like, Hey, that didn't work or this did work. So if you can adjust to the speed limit, then you have good resilience. Things are working well. If you're speeding all the time and that can be an anal- that can be a metaphor or an actual thing, right? Like me just talking fast. If you're speeding all the time, that can look like you're running from thing to thing to thing. You don't have time to stop. You're you're running on high cortisol probably, right? And just running on high cortisol, what your body will actually try to do also, talking about more afternoon exhaustion things. Your body does there's some this is a little nuanced and fancy, but your body does try to protect you from that. Like if it's like, "Man, she's really doing that a lot. Like that's usually a temporary thing. Like, oh, I got to run from the tiger. I got to change the tire or whatever. Cortisol elevation is usually like where we stimulate is usually supposed to be a temporary thing. But if you do it kind of chronically all day long, your body's like, hmm, 
this is a lot of cortisol. That's, that's not ideal. So your your body tries to protect you by deactivating it into cortisone through your kidneys. And that is an energy-dependent process. Um, so it can be exhausting to try to convert all of that. As a side note, um, not the most important thing I'm saying today. But as a side note, what else do I want to tell you? Or what else were we just talking about? Oh, um, the speedometer thing. So if you're running kind of speeding all the time, that's elevated cortisol. So you might want some things that tamp it down. So magnesium just like relaxes the nervous system. If you can self-regulate, if you can do breath work practices, all of those are amazing. I actually prefer those over nutraceuticals first. And then we kind of talked about these nutraceuticals already with being wired and tired, um, which would be like holy, well, we'll talk about holy basil in a moment, but like valerian, um, ashwagandha can be awesome for the adrenals. Some people are like, I freaking love ashwagandha. And I've had some people feel a little interesting on it. So just always be aware of that. Some of the herbs that I personally think work for every situation, high or low or holy basil or tulsi. And you can, you know, buy that as a tea and drink it. Like, I think it's just nice if you think about it from a perspective of what is kind of nice that I can like support and nourish my body with. Um, what else? Um, magnolia is nice. There's, there's many adaptogenic herbs. I actually love mushrooms, um, cordyceps, um, like all the mushrooms, lion's mane for clarity, but those mushrooms uh, often are adaptogenic and they're also great for gut health technically, um, long-term. So I, I do really, really love mushrooms, um, from that perspective, but immediate changes, I, I wouldn't say that it's like insanely immediate changes. All right, so back to the speedometer thing. There's three scenarios. You can adjust to the speed limit and you have good resilience and you can buffer and you can self-regulate your nervous system. You can be speeding and running in high cortisol. And that just feels like wired and tired. You know, like maybe you perspire a lot, you know, you're running from thing to thing to thing. Um, I can talk about what happens physiologically in the body. You dump nutrients. And so then you're, you're kind of, you're not running on you're running kind of like you're using up nutrients quickly if you are running on high stress. And then what happens longer term, if you speed for a long term, you use up more gas, actually, right? Good metaphor. You use up more gas and um, then you run out of gas and you're flatlined. So that's what happens when you're low cortisol and then you kind of feel like crap. Um, Like you're just kind of exhausted all the time. And so what are some dead ringers for flatlining that cortisol, running out of gas, so to speak. Well, what happens physiologically is that there's a huge need for nutrients and rebuilding the cells. What does it actually feel like for you? These are important. Getting dizzy and irritable or sleepy if you go without food for four to five hours because your adrenals are in rough shape. They've actually had their cells killed and the mitochondria damaged. So they're not able to produce the hormones that they should. DHA, which helps regulate that blood sugar. Um, Aldosterone, they cannot do that very well craving the salty foods, your body's like trying to get you to consume those things. Like you tend to, some other things would be that you run on the lower end of blood pressure. Maybe your blood pressure is normal, but they're like, oh, you run on the lower end um, overall. So that's a potential one. Uh, Lightheadedness from sitting to standing or lying down to sitting sitting up and standing. Really good one. And why is that? Because if you're cells are not producing aldosterone at the way that they should from the adrenals, you can't regulate that blood pressure beautifully. Um, and then a low sex drive, which can be many things, but if your cortisol is low, you're not going to produce testosterone appropriately. So that's when you run out of gas. Um, so if, and so another thing that's kind of like 
with the times is that there's this thing that's been going on for two years. And so if you get that thing that's been going on, um, that also really destroys mitochondria. And so people who already were in tough shape with the adrenal. So again, reminder, adrenals are the bean shaped uh, organs that sit on top of the kidneys. They produce cortisol, which is most essential. Your, your body's going to defer all, like it's not going to produce progesterone or anything else if it needs to produce cortisol. Aldosterone, which helps control and regulate blood pressure for you. And then DHEA, which helps regulate blood sugar. So because cortisol is the most important, it's going to do that. But if the cells are damaged from long-term stress, which is essentially the, the simplest way to say it, if they're damaged from long-term stress, mitochondria is going to be damaged. Mitochondria makes energy. So the other thing that really damages mitochondria, um, well, mitochondria gets degraded over time with aging, and you can always support mitochondria. And that should be like a light bulb for you that when you support mitochondria, you're supporting natural sustainable energy all day long. So there's a lot of nutrients that support mitochondria. And the foods that are high in mitochondria are like liver and heart. Um, yes, thank you, um, Diane, Diane Lynn. Um, she said, oh my gosh, yes, everything in my body went south after the thing. Um, for the last two years. And I'm saying that because I am recording this for the podcast and I'll publish this right away on the Less Stress Life podcast, but I just wanted to do dual recording so I could chat with you guys here too. Um, so that is really going to destroy mitochondria as well. So you're going to feel like terrible crap um, post-viral infection potentially. I think it's pretty normal to feel like more tired in general for a few weeks afterwards. Um, but if you really just feel like poop, then I think that's a really good dead ringer that like your mitochondria needs a lot of love and support and you can nourish those cells back to health. So the, so I want to talk to you about a three-pronged approach from the physiological perspective on how I support the adrenals and cortisol function, et cetera, in practice and the things that need to make sure we're addressing that are going to continue to um, abuse adrenals. So we can talk about basic lifestyle non-negotiables first, and then I'll get into the fancier things that we do in practice. So non-negotiables. And so this is the stuff like people aren't really willing (laughs) always to do, and it makes it take a really long time to get better. And so if you just do these, I think it takes like a year to get better. And if you do all the other stuff that I'm going to tell you after that, I think it takes like three to six months to move the needle. But I think you can be feeling better in like two-ish months, like substantially better. So it's not as fast as you want, but It's a lot easier to burn a house down than it is to rebuild it. And that's the best analogy for this situation if you've been abusing your adrenals for a while, which human nature, American, worldwide, like we've been burning out our adrenals for sure. I interviewed someone yesterday about healthcare burnout and 76% of people in healthcare show signs of burnout. And so it's like good grief. No wonder this particular post got like 3,500 hearts on it. So anyway, so non-negotiables may seem simple, but they're not happening for sure. And so you have to take hard discussions with yourself. So non-negotiables when adrenals are broken are seven to 10 hours of sleep. So you might have to sleep longer than you're used to or you're comfortable with. And essentially the reason that this is so uncomfortable is because a doer, um, Oh, I don't think constipation comes from poor mitochondria. No. Um, this is from a message from Sharon. I think like constipation comes from other gut stuff. But there could be a relationship because poor gut health is going to abuse adrenals, which is going to lead to, you know, mitochondrial issues. But I wouldn't, I don't feel like that's like the most direct thing at all. Now, actually, I could, there's another mechanism though, Sharon. Um, cortisol dumps potassium. And it also, when you have high stress, because um, you'll dump 
sodium to control blood pressure and aldosterone. But we tend to sometimes get that back easier than we get back food-based potassium. So like really high potassium. So that can cause constipation because both of those are really implicated in digestion. So yeah, there's some physiological ties. Non-negotiables, sleeping seven to 10 hours minimum. Now this is adorable because sometimes another symptom of having crappy adrenal status is that you are a very restless sleeper. So you have to be you have to try so much harder to get good sleep than someone else. And that's what happens when you're at the bottom of the barrel. Like it takes some, it takes a real effort to climb out. Um, you have to do some neural nervous system work, neural pathway retraining, especially if this is a long-term problem, like limbic system work. So we could go into another day, like what's going on in the brain, but limbic system work, there's, there's a lot of programs out there. There's a lot of things, vagus nerve training, etc. Um, if there are, severe gut issues and or mold issues, those will totally abuse the mitochondria to Sharon's point about the constipation. They will severely like degrade the mitochondria and kill the adrenal cells as well. So that is not, you know, your fault, obviously, right? Like that's not a lifestyle thing per se. I mean, it can, some of that can come from lifestyle. Some of it like gut stuff can come um, from lifestyle. Peace Love Dream says, does this kind of correlate with sleeping 12 plus hours when I collapse from PTSD? I mean, yeah, you probably need that. Like sleep is healing. And so if you're not having, like, if that that's what might be your body's only source of nourishment, if it doesn't have anything else. So I'm going to talk to you about like physiological nutrients and nourishment that needs to happen here. But if you're crashing, if you have this like episode where you've used up like all your resources, it's very exhausting. And so like the body's only tool that it like knows potentially asleep. It does make sense in my head um, for sure. Feel free to keep commenting. Um, all right. I'm trying to watch these these messages and not miss them. If I missed one, I guess rewrite it in. All right. So sleep seven to 10 hours, limbic system work and neural pathway retraining. If you've got severe gut stuff or mold stuff, it's going to abuse the cells and adrenals. Um, and then also if you're already kind of flatlined and you don't have that DHEA and you're not being able to regulate your blood sugar, you have to do it with your lifestyle. So you have to eat protein, fat, and carbs at four hour intervals. I've seen people have to eat them like at two or three hour intervals. And I know that feels uncomfortable. People are like, this can't be okay. Like I'm so hungry. Yeah. You don't have anything regulating it. So you have to kind of do it on its own. Like you have to keep filling the tank little by little by little. It sucks, but it's true. Um, night shift. Oh man, that's like a whole thing. Um, and then in general for anyone, I think it's good for us to like take an inventory. My favorite thing to do is just to draw a line down a piece of paper. And when you take this out of your brain, it's so much better than when you try to problem solve inside internally. It doesn't work. (laughs) Draw a line down a piece of paper. And on one side, you put the things that are bringing you joy or you're really enjoying or you want to do more of or just whatever, like whatever makes you kind of happy. And on the other side, put down like what's draining my energy and making me hate my life and all that stuff. Like what is stressing me out? And when you look at those two, a lot of times the only reason you have this stuff in like the, the, you know, the vampire column is because your brain, it was all like moving around in there and you thought you needed to do that. And often you'd be like, Hmm, Oh, that is really taking up a lot of rent-free space in my head. And I actually could just put that on the chopping block or something. If I have something like that, I have to make a plan now to see the benefit. Like sometimes with work stuff or whatever, I'm like, Oh, why did I schedule that much on my plate? Like (laughs) this, that does not make me feel good at the end of the day. So um, sometimes you have to make a plan now to see the fruition of that in a couple months. So that's the hard stuff. It's like, there's a reason we ended up in this position typically, right? And so we have to like think through 
not just think through, but like we have to kind of like do some basic lifestyle stuff because some people will ask me, I have this family member who's like, but Krista, I just want to lose weight and blah, blah, blah. Like, why can't I lose weight? And I'm like, oh my gosh, there is not enough time in the world for this because your life doesn't make mathematical sense. You like go to work all day and then you run around and chase like, and there, we all have pieces of this in our lives, but there is, how are you regulating your nervous system? And do you need to do it all? Like there, there is just like breaking points and we have been trying to do too much with too little for too long and it's absurd. So lifestyle stuff, we need to assess that. So I like to use that like tool where I just draw a line to the middle. Like I think literally doing that monthly is a really great um, choice. So those are like non-negotiable, but really non-negotiables are the sleeping thing, working on neural pathway retraining, making sure there's not gut mold, et cetera, issues, eating at regular intervals, um, and the other one that I didn't put on here, but I needed to was like, you need to do appropriate exercise. So a lot of people run into this problem when they're doing high intensity interval training and cardio and then under eating. It's a problem of the past decade or more, right? Eat, eat less and exercise more. It's like not a good, it's like, does that work? Um, but anyway, if people are doing high intensity cardio, that uses up totally different stuff. And so they need to go to weight training or restoration Um, I like Pilates and bar because it kind of does everything. It's like stretching um, strength and um, getting a little bit of it all. But again, the people who are going to struggle with this are going to be like, oh, it hurts my, like they're like, oh, my stress relief is to go ride my bike. I'm like, yeah, to an extent, I agree with you. Like I have a bike, I friggin' love it. It's super fun, but you do need to change it up and you got to make sure you're nourishing properly. So those are the non-negotiables that you don't even bother getting fancy if none of that's working. Okay. Like it's just not, you're just going to like wonder why you're not getting better. So then we fail and we're like, why am I failing at this? And it's hard to see the inside. It's hard to see the label on the bottle when you live inside the bottle. And so uh, sometimes other people can see it. And so that's actually my greatest desire is or challenge right now is like, well, how do you help people see it if they don't see it themselves? And I don't know the answer to that. So if you guys have ideas, please, please enlighten me in the comments. I'd really like to, I'd really like to get your feedback, honestly. All right. So here's my three-pronged approach for working on adrenal healing. Um, Someone asked about potassium pills. No, I don't use potassium pills. I use food Um, and insulin resistance a factor. I like avoid simple carbs. I love fruit though. Okay. So love on the fruit and just a real quick thing about circadian eating, um, which is like something... I actually can't remember where I learned about this. There's a bunch of research about it and it does not get talked about. But if this is adorable, if your gut's not working, it's not going to work very well yet. But um, eating carbs at night helps buffer cortisol and it helps provide energy for all the healing and restoration your body needs to do overnight. The liver is really busy at night. So lots of feelings about that, um, Laura Moore. Okay, so let's talk about what we can do. Um, I want to talk about that sleep apnea question and am I linking the supplement so we can read about for sleep? No, I'm, but I am publishing this on the less stress life podcast so I can add to my show notes. And I think I'll just add this as a bonus episode. Like I won't publish it tonight, but I will publish it probably tomorrow morning is my hope. So if you're not subscribed to the podcast, please do. It will be labeled high versus low cortisol. I will not edit it. It will be this raw recording and I will include stuff in the show notes for sure. So I will make a note supplement Rex. And that's where it will be because Instagram just is not that convenient for um, like long form stuff. All right. So let's get into the three pronged approach. Like if I'm working on someone 
what they need to be doing in addition to that lifestyle stuff. So one, and the reason I had to talk about lifestyle stuff for the last 10 minutes, the podcast is called the Less Stressed Life Podcast. And that was an umbrella term in 2017 where I was trying to come up with a synonym for inflammation. And so I ended up with that. And it's really been a blessing. Like for a while, I wasn't sure if I liked that name, but it's really been a blessing because it gives me a lot of things to talk about. So I would say the listeners are very health savvy. Talk about um, high quality <laughs> um stuff. And I am kind of, I've done a lot of interviews in the past and now I'm moving toward what can I provide to you? Like, how can I tell you how to interpret test results and help and heal yourself? That's kind of the, the road I'm moving into with the podcast. I mean, I think it's always been there, but just getting more clear. And, and if you don't know, when I get DMs here, I use those to create Q and a um, podcast episodes. Like I don't answer the DMs here cause I'm a yapper. And so I'd rather, um, answer it in dialogue and the podcast and go through like all the things. Cause people always think the question is like a one answer, a one sentence answer. I'm like, actually, no, not ever for me. <laughs> if you understand the physiology, it's like, well, here's three things that could be going on there. All right, let's get into those, the three pronged approach for healing adrenals if they're flatline. Cause remember you can either adjust to the speed limit and it's working well, you're speeding or you're running out of gas. And so you're out of nutrients. So I think there's three pieces. Um, and I learned this from, uh, actually, I, I feel like the original person I learned this from is Dr. Tim Hyatt, who's this amazing, amazing Dutch mentor of mine, um, hormone mentor of mine. And so minerals are huge. Mitochondrial support is huge. And then some kind of adrenal support that's very specific for the adrenals, like adaptogens. So let's harp on the minerals and mitochondrial support first, because those are fine for everyone. Minerals um, are essential for hormones, energy production, digestion, and detoxification. All nutrients are essential for everything. Um, I will mention that my MO is to be synergistic with nutrients and not to just take single ingredient things soon on this podcast and on this page I will talk more about like the harm of supplementing long term with D and zinc and the other things that kind of come from that um and just what you can do instead to make sure you're not creating um imbalances someone said when you say heal adrenals are you talking about adrenal fatigue or the more appropriate term is hpa axis dysfunction hypothalamic pituitary adrenal dysfunction I wish like I had I could show you pictures or the screen um so it can be dysfunctional running high, but what I see or that's more concerning, another thing that happens is like you get oversensitive to things, meaning like it could be emotions, but I'm talking like food and supplements, like you don't respond well or you have just weird, weird symptoms. And I have a lab test that I use in practice and there's this adrenal marker there. And if it's under one, I'm like, mm, you are going to be like overly sensitive to everything. And I liken it. My best analogy is like trying to recharge a battery and it's like trying to come back online. And it's like, Ooh, I had this weird stimulation. It's like, I just felt stimulated. I'm like, yeah, you've literally been running on nothing and your body's like trying to come back online and make stuff because you're finally giving it the nutrients to do it. And it's like, Whoa, I don't know what to do with all this stuff. Okay. Minerals, mitochondrial support, and then like some kind of specific adaptogens. Now the adrenal support is going to depend on if the cortisol is running high, like you're speeding, or if you're low and flatlined and you have adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction. Now, unfortunately, this isn't really recognized yet conventionally. I think people get mad about this. Guess what? Your healthcare providers probably has this problem too, and they don't know what to do with it yet. So share this with them if you want. Um, we're just not there yet. And so I don't, I mean, just where we are. So we're just not there yet. So, um, we're not agreeing about it unanimously and there's going to be a lot of work to do <laughs> around that area. So minerals, they're essential. So potassium, sodium, magnesium are huge ones. 
um, daily mineralizing drinks. Uh, mineral. My friend Robin, Nutrition by Robin, is an amazing resource for her mineral mocktail guide, homemade ones, and drinking those every day or like starting to drink those in the morning. So my two-minute morning routine is getting up, looking at the sun for that full-spectrum light for circadian rhythm, and taking minerals, and you see a difference. Like, pr- It's subtle but yet dramatic. Does that work? Oxymoron? Um, right away, most of the time. But I consume minerals all day long. Some people are like, oh, I just have to get this done. Like a ticket is a shot. Actually, I think drinking it all day long and enjoying it is part of the fun. Coconut water is really potassium rich. A little aloe vera juice is really amazing. Just adding some Celtic sea salt or Himalayan pink salt is great. Um, my favorite magnesiums, I have some posts about this. Diane, Lynn, um, I like glycinate, malate. Citrate is just helping you poop. You're not really absorbing it, but... And there's like a little bit of a rhyme or reason to this, but just in general, electrolytes are great. So that would be a good public health perspective. Um, Thank you so much. Peace, love, dream. I like when people are nice. Like when the internet's nice, she says, you've been so much more enlightening than every doctor I've paid to help me. (laughs) Um, And good question, Jess Marie, about coffee. That's a good question. I'm actually going to answer that quick. I, my perspective on coffee, it's multifold. Um, should have a separate one on that. Like, what do you think about coffee? Let's go on a 10 minute rant about that. I had coffee today. It was lovely. Um, I like to drink it, but you just want to know, like, do I rely on this? If you have to drink coffee or you feel dead, your cortisol is probably low. So you're using that to artificially elevate your cortisol for that cortisol awakening response. And so my plea to you is just like, if you need to drink coffee to function in your life, cool, but you need to go fix your adrenals and your mitochondria. Great. Good. Now, you know, the end. Um, so good for you. All right. So mitochondria, we talked about minerals, just drink minerals, (laughs) add minerals to your life, take magnesium salt baths. I like harp on that all the time. It's a great source of magnesium. It's actually my favorite source of magnesium, but people either think that like, that's the greatest birthday present or like, that's like too much work. So whatever. (laughs) Uh, Mitochondria. So the richest food-based sources of mitochondria, fun little story, um, because I've been a little bit science heavy. Fun little story. My mom um, was diagnosed with a severe autoimmune disease in March of 2020. She would have died if my sister-in-law wasn't a nurse and she um, didn't get on the phone with the ER doc at 10 PM at night because they were like, well, we got to wait for this COVID test for three days. And she couldn't breathe because she had systemic myasthenia gravis. Um, And every single autoimmune crisis I believe is caused by stress and she is not an exception. But um, When she was in recovery, I went and spent a week with her and I ground up a lot of liver and heart and put it into muffin tins and froze it in pucks and then she was adding it to her things. In fact, she was unable to eat by mouth. I don't know if it was, she was in the hospital for a month in March of 2020 and then I think she was unable to eat orally and she had a G-tube for three months. It was like really crazy. Um, But when she started to eat, the first protein she ate was like, she just sauteed some of that liver. She's like, that was so delicious <laughs> because she had not eaten in three months um, orally. And so liver, and that's just a story to help you remember, that liver and heart are, and she ended up with the thing, the the vid um, sometime after that. And she was like most people, she did things for a while and kind of like waned, but she did do a good job consuming heart and liver. And I believe that that was really important for her to help with what she could for her mitochondria, which I believe were really fried. I think anytime there's an autoimmune condition, go ahead and support your mitochondria. It's totally fine. Um, new mineral nutrients, mitochondrial nutrients include CoQ10, acetyl L-carnitine, alpha lipoic acid, and tons of others. But food-based sources are, are that. I don't mind a, um, a mixture of that stuff. Uh, a fun experiment is like 100 or 200 milligrams of CoQ10 when you need it. So 
like last week, sometime this week, I had like a poor night of sleep because of like stuff, my kids doing stuff and waking up and we all have things like that that happen sometimes. Like it was very obvious why it happened, but the next day I needed to show up at work and do a good job. So I like drowsily opened my cabinet of things. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take some heart and liver in a capsule form and I'm going to take some CoQ10. But actually what I did was I did a blend of things that I had, that had a, had a good dose and I like had a powerful, awesome day. Um, so mitochondrial support can make you feel like you have good sustainable energy all day because that's what you should feel like if your adrenals are working. All right, minerals, mitochondrial support, and then adrenal support, and this will be the end. Um, So adaptogenic or some kind of adrenal support is just going to depend on the person. You can do herbs or you can do glandulars. Some people are afraid of glandulars. I am not. I am a very aggressive person <laughs> from a from a practitioner standpoint. Um, so I like to do all the things. But again, if you're like if you're super flatlined, you may be very sensitive and you may not tolerate things. And I would just say to you, you're going to be okay. Do things at micro doses. If at first you're not successful, just try again at a lower dose and a little bit gentler, and just be gentle with yourself and do as much as you can from a lifestyle and nervous system and vagus nerve stimulation perspective. Like do anything exogenous and external that you can. Um, so the adaptions of support, if you're flatlined specifically, I think licorice is good. It's stimulating, but if you're already wired, licorice is not right. Ashwagandha can be fine. Magnolian. I personally like for anxiety and for high cortisol situations, I love L-theanine, which is an extract from green tea. It's like calm focus. And I love GABA, which is a natural neurotransmitter. I just feel good on those like clear, chill, but not drowsy. So I do love those um, for high cortisol situations because we all run into those and I can recognize that and sometimes I can breathe my way out of it and sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm giving a presentation, I feel really nervous and I'm going to take some L-theanine so I can feel good. (laughs) Um, All right, what else? Um, And then I use like adrenal glandular depending on what's going on. So it just depends on the person and I hope that was really helpful. So um, in summary, we talked about normal cortisol curve, programming that with sun. We talked about circadian rhythm a little bit. Circadian eating, eating includes um, good source of carbs at night, fruit, whole carbs, whatever. Um, helps buffer the cortisol, helps give your body some nourishment overnight. If your gut's a mess, the paint may not work. Um, some, I, Sorry, I'm trying to say your um, name here. EB Fit Harris, I don't know. It's like a long name and I don't want to mispronounce it. He says, do you ever use magnesium 3 and 8 for helping calm the brain? For sure. It crosses the blood-brain barrier and it's really good for brain clarity. Nicole Johnson said, oh, thanks for bringing this one up. Glad to hear this. I was on prednisone. I think that affects my cortisol. Let me talk about that. Uh, prednisone is cortisone. And earlier I talked about um, your body, your kidneys convert cortisol to cortisone to protect you. And when you are on prednisone or importantly, topical steroids, those are cortisone. So if you're on those long-term, it's like the same thing as prednisone. I mean, prednisone is more systemic, you know, whatever. But what's happening is you're sending a message. Everything's like coming, messages are coming back and forth from the brain to the body. And what happens is if you're, if you're getting external cortisone, your your body's going to shut down its own production. So it kind of looks like adrenal fatigue. Um, so supporting the mitochondria is really smart in that case as well. Um, all right, great. There's some good comments. Thank you so much for these good comments. Sorry, I didn't get this out sooner, but it totally goes to, um, and Joanna Sky asked a question unrelated to our topic, which is high and low cortisol, but it can be related because what happens if you have high cortisol, you dump magnesium. And so one of my favorite tools is, um, to use magnesium, two, four, 600 milligrams, glycinate preferred, um, see if it helps calm things down. Um, 
All right, so we talked about the three-pronged approach, which is minerals, mitochondrial support, and then some kind of adaptogenic or glandular support. And that's going to take a hot second. It's going to take a while. And then we talked about those non-negotiables of how much sleep it takes, um, exercise changes that have to happen so you're not like overdoing the cardio, undernourishment, and making sure you're getting enough intake or food at four, three, four, or five hours. Other because you don't have the DHEA being produced from the adrenals because of cellular production. Um, Jess Marie said, I'm not sure if you saw, but my naturopath told me to drink pickle juice. What do you think? So she may have told you to drink pickle juice because of the high sodium and your, um, if you've been dumping out, um, sodium because your body's been, um, using up aldosterone to try to regulate your blood pressure, that's a potential. So what can happen, I'm guessing if I knew more about you, you are running on the low end of blood pressure and you need a lot of salt to like keep that up. So you probably need, um, sodium and potassium would be my guess, but take it from food coconut water is awesome. Okay. In transparency, usually my podcast editor edits probably all of my ums out. So I hope I didn't drive you bonkers. I need to work on that. I need to not say um. So if you found this episode helpful, please leave a review. There should be links in the show notes about that. I did write up some show notes for this. So go ahead and scroll down in this episode to grab whatever you need to grab. If you feel like you need help with this, jump on the wait list to work with us at kristabigler.com. And otherwise, share this with a friend. Please, please, please share it with a friend. Share the love. I just really feel like I'm in a place right now where I want to be very as generous as I possibly can be with these episodes. So if you leave a review, if you send me a message on Instagram, or you leave a speak pipe message on my website, there's a page for the podcast, and the podcast has video or uh, audio recordings. You can leave a question there. I'd love to answer them in future Ask Krista podcasts. We'll talk to you soon.